Faith from the sermon series 2020, Discerning God's Will in the New Decade, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Happy New Year, Metro. Oh, wow. Okay, let's try it one more time. Happy New Year, Metro. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And Happy New Year to those in the nursery, to the gym sanctuary, to online community. Uh, how many of you set uh, some goals for yourself for this upcoming year? Let me see. Raise your hands. Raise them high. I'm not going to ask you to yell them out. All right. Just a few, man, maybe like 4% of the people in this room. What's up, guys? New Year's resolution? Uh, I think uh, the New Year's is a great time just for us to kind of hit that reset button, isn't it? And, and I hope for some of us that you have some goals that you've set for yourself. And... Um, but while you might have set some goals for the next year, uh, how many of you have set some goals for the next decade? Uh, we're at the start of a brand new decade. It's kind of exciting, isn't it? I mean, 2020, that's like, I mean, I grew up in the 80s. When we do movies like about the 2020s kind of thing, we always thought it was like fake, but we're living in it now. And we think about the next 10 years in 2030. Uh, what do, you, do you have any hopes and dreams for your life in the next 10 years? Um, sometimes I think our hopes and our dreams that we have or the goals that we set for ourselves are oftentimes goals that kind of come from within our hearts. But what we're trying to do in this series isn't for you to set more goals. Our hope for you in this series is for you to discern God's will for you for the next 10 years. I think that's pretty cool. That you would actually posture yourself in a way where you can say, God, what do you want from me in the next 10 years? What is your goal? What is your idea of success? Because I think what we've done in the church is that we've really adapted success in the world and we've sort of spiritualized it in some ways and we kind of use that spiritualization of worldly success as camouflage here in the church. And I think what God wants us to do over the next 10 years is to show us really, you know, kingdom success is very different from worldly success. Can I get an amen to that? Very different. And I'm talking about how can we position ourselves so that in the next decade we can experience kingdom success that for the next 10 years, what does it look like? What does our marriage look like in the next 10 years? What is God's will for your marriage over the next 10 years? Have you even entertained that idea? I can't wait to preach that sermon. I made sure I preached that one. It's gonna be crazy good, I think. Um, but what is God's will for your marriage for the next 10 years? Could you actually believe that your best days are still ahead of your marriage rather than behind you? I hope so, definitely. How do we discern that? We're gonna talk about that. How do we discern our vocation over the next decade? Maybe God wants you to quit your job. Maybe in the next 10 years, you're gonna pursue a whole different field. I don't know. But how do we discern God's will, his kingdom success model? How do we sort of buy into that and how will that look in the next 10 years? That's what we're gonna talk about in the next couple of weeks. How do we discern God's will for us in our singleness? For single people, if you were single for the next 10 years, now wait one second before you get angry with me, all right? If you were to be single for the next 10 years, and it might happen, and there's nothing wrong with that, amen? It's a season in life that God gives to you. But if you were to stay single for the next 10 years, how would you discern God's will for you? Because, and, and I have to apologize for the church, because sometimes we make single people feel like if you're single for a long time, you're living a curse but it's nothing could be further from the truth. There's so much you can do even in your state of your singleness today that your primary job is not to get married. It's to discern God's will for you for the next 10 years maybe. We're gonna talk about that. What does that look like? We'll talk about your money. I mean, I think a lot of us, we want God to bless us, maybe even economically. Well, if you want God to bless you, don't you think 
he's going to want to share with you some things and maybe how you can use that money for him to build his kingdom? You think he's just going to bless you with finances and do whatever you want with it? It doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. Biblically speaking, it doesn't. What does that look like? And then the last thing, how do we care for ourselves over the next 10 years uh, so that we can be the best we can be to learn to love our neighbors as ourselves? So those are some of the topics that we're going to talk about. We're going to ask, how do we discern God's will for us for the next decade based upon these specific topics? Today, I want to talk to you about faith. How do we discern God's will for our faith for the next 10 years? Now, I, think, I do believe there'll probably be the majority of us here in the room, uh, in the sanctuary, in the gym, and maybe in the nursery, those watching online. I think you've set some good goals for yourself, perhaps maybe where you can grow in faith in God over the next 10 years. But if you're anything like me, uh, especially me in the past, Sometimes we get to a place where we say, well, you know what, I, I don't want to really get, I don't want to have too much faith. I just want to have enough, enough faith so that I can get by and, you know, go to heaven when I die. I think that's such a, a lie of the devil that he wants you to believe in, uh, to think that living marginally with your faith is really the way to live life. That's not what God has for you. God does not want you to believe in him in a marginal, at a marginal level. He wants you and I to have amazing faith. Because when you and I have amazing faith, you know what that does? It unlocks us to tap into the power of a supernatural God. When we have marginal faith, then we just see God as a natural being. We don't think he can do much. Our God is this tiny little thing that we bring to here. We come on Sunday to sing a few songs. But we leave here not really believing God can do anything. My hope and prayer is today is that we would set in motion a path a sort of a path for the next 10 years and how we can have amazing faith so that we can grow deeply and tap into the supernatural power of God, encounter his miracles. God wants to show you how amazing he is, but it's gonna require us to get to a place where we have amazing faith. We're gonna learn from the faith of a centurion today. And this guy has no training, never been discipled. He's probably the most unlikeliest guy to amaze Jesus with his faith, but he does. And in this story in Matthew chapter eight, we're gonna learn how we can have amazing faith. And my hope is by the end of our time together here today that all of us in this room would collectively really hope deep within our hearts that we would pray to God and say, would you please allow me to grow where my faith can amaze you, Jesus? How amazing would it be if you could amaze Jesus Christ today and for the next 10 years with your faith? It can happen. It happened with an uneducated, spiritually uneducated centurion. If it can happen with him, it can happen with any one of us here. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. We'll look at verses 5 through 13. How do we have amazing faith? Here's what it says. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I, don't, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, underline this, he was amazed and said to those following him, disciples included, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside 
into the darkness while there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, I pray today that you would speak to us profoundly through this text and God, that you would help us, Lord, to want to have amazing faith. Thank you for this story because it teaches us how we can sort of approach this, God, in a way for the next decade, how we can grow deeper in our faith where we could even amaze you. So God, I pray, um, I pray even for the ones in this room that have such little faith. I pray in this, for those in this room that actually often um, believe in lies that the enemy tells them that they have no faith. I pray for those in this room that love you dearly and they want to keep growing in their faith in you. God, would you speak to all of us and through the centurion, would you teach us how we can grow and have amazing faith? So I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray it would indeed be pleasing unto you and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Well, Capernaum was really the center of Jesus' Galilean ministry. It was kind of a key city because it was next to a, trade, a trading route. And because it was next to a key trading route, uh, there was quite a bit of a military presence there because you would just think the Roman government wants to protect trading areas or the cities that are near it because if another country would try to take it over, they would take control of that trading route. So there was quite a bit of military presence and that's why the centurion was there. He was stationed there. And the centurion is a Gentile person, meaning they are not Jewish. They have a hundred soldiers under them that they lead. And he goes to Jesus Christ. He hears about Jesus and he says to him, to, and he pleads with him if he could heal his servant. Now that word servant in the Greek, pais, could be translated as son as well. Uh, I'm not sure why the NIV went with servant. I think they probably, the scholars believed it was more of a servant than a son, but a lot of scholars believe it was actually the son that was paralyzed and suffering terribly because he goes on behalf of his son to Jesus. And it really seems like sort of a, a plea that a father would have for a son as opposed to a servant. However, it wasn't uncommon in the first century for masters to have those kinds of relationships with their servant. Having said all that, what we know about this centurion was that he was tremendously compassionate. He was compassionate towards the servant that he had. And he believed without a shadow of a doubt even though he was uneducated. Hey, for any of you in this room who think you cannot amaze God with your faith because maybe you haven't been trained or you haven't read enough Bible or you haven't you know, sat in a church and heard enough sermons or you haven't served or anything in leadership positions, I just want you to know there's good news for you. All of you in this room can amaze God's faith even before me. Amen? That's the good news because this dude was not even educated. He probably never even opened up the Torah in his life. But yet when he heard that Jesus was in town, he went to him and he believed without a shadow of a doubt that this Jesus could heal his servant. He believed it with all of his heart. So much so that Jesus Christ was completely amazed. Now, one of the things you need to know is that if you want to gain a robust theology of God, focus on the actions of Jesus. If you want to do something fun this year, read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get yourself a yellow highlighter and underline every action of Jesus Christ as you read the gospels. Go a passage at a time, maybe a chapter at a time and just underline if there are an action that you see in Jesus underline it because whatever you see of Jesus every act of ministry will teach you something about God every act of Jesus ministry will teach you something about God Jesus says in John if you've seen me you have seen the father 
So when you focus on the actions of Jesus, you will gain a robust theology of what God's like. And here we see that Jesus Christ was amazed. That means God can become amazed, even though he's all-knowing, he can become amazed with your faith and my faith. And what's even more spectacular about this, he was amazed with the faith of a Gentile when his ministry was completely exclusively focused on Jewish people. Could you imagine the disciples when he said that? I mean, if I was a part of Jesus in a circle and he said, not even in Jerusalem have I found anyone with more faith than this guy, I'd be like, well, what about me, Jesus? Like, don't I have enough faith? Like, you know, like, sometimes we get a little competitive with faith. Jesus was blown away. He said, this guy's got the greatest faith that I've ever seen so far. How do we have that kind of faith? How do you and I have that kind of faith? Because if a un, spiritually uneducated man like this can have that kind of faith in Jesus, it's not about how much training you have. It's really about a posture that you and I need to have today, how we approach God. How you approach God has everything to do with how much your faith is going to grow. If you approach God with a sense where he is the person that's supposed to just bless your life, meaning he's your employee and you are his employer, you're not gonna grow in your faith. But a lot of times in our Christianity, if you really think about spiritually how we approach God, it kind of has that, we'll never admit it, but we kind of expect that God will listen to our non-negotiable demands. How do we have amazing faith? What do we learn from the centurion? First thing we learn from him is this. We have amazing faith when our humility reflects God's glory. When your humility reflects God's glory. All of us, I think, in this room, we want to be humble. Where does your humility point to? If I'm going to be very honest, some of us, we've prescribed uh, to uh, false humility. You want your humility to focus on yourself. You want people to recognize your humility, right? We do that all the time. It, it happens. Like if you end up doing certain things spiritually, you want, and you want some recognition for it. Uh, you know, that's what Jesus tells the Pharisees in the Gospels. He says, hey, listen, if you're fasting, stop looking like you're so hungry. Stop making it so obvious. Because what did the Pharisees want? They wanted people to say, hey, what's going on with you? It's like, well, I'm fasting, for I'm fasting for God. That's what they wanted. So he said, stop doing that. Right? He even tells the Jewish leaders to stop praying publicly. Right? Stop doing that. Stop showing off what you know and, and praying publicly. Have you guys ever been part of a church where like, praying was like a competition? <laughs> have you ever been a part of a church like that? I have. I grew up in a church like that, that every Sunday, one of the adults would always come up and they would pray. And every week, they were trying to outdo each other. I mean, it was amazing just kind of watching it. My father was a part of that. He practiced for like a week before he got up there. He was trying to practice it. And, you know, I, I don't want to make too much fun of it. But, man, there was this one lady. Every time she came up, like, so it was a rotation. But whenever she came up, like once a quarter at least, man, she was amazing. She went up there. She'd start praying really quietly. You could barely hear her. And then she would just crescendo little by little. She'd start yelling, crying, weeping, and slamming the podium and all of that stuff. And then at the end, she would end with a real quiet whisper, amen. No. And you're just like, wow. <laughs> but that lady was the meanest lady in our church. <laughs> I wondered, and I said, I wonder if you actually pray at home. Because, like, I know you do this amazing prayer, and I loved watching it. But, man, she just did not have the love of God in her heart. There was something incongruent there. And so you can do all this stuff publicly, but at the end of the day, humility is not about your glory, it's about the glory of God. And glory, doxa in the Greek, what that literally means is the manifestation of God's presence. 
your humility needs to point to God. Meaning what happens is this, when you are humble, when you're truly humble, what simply happens is that people will begin to experience the presence of God through your humility. That's really what it looks like. And when you and I can posture ourselves that way, when we only want it for God, for God to be glorified, you're gonna have amazing faith. Sometimes we wanna be humble because we want God to bless us. And I know you guys want blessings from God, but can I just encourage you for the, for, for the next decade, could you stop focusing on your blessings? Just put it down, lay it at the altar, because God's more than just blessing you. Amen. He's so much more than that. And you cannot grow in true humility if you just want God to bless you. Humility happens when you just want to be a blessing to God and you want God to receive all the glory. Where people come around you and they literally feel like they're in the presence of God because of your humility. That's what true humility is and that's what God wants you and I. So humility in its definition, if you want the definition uh, in the, uh, in theologically, it's to depend fully on God. That's what humility means. You really manifest God's glory when you depend fully on him. So the question that I have for you today is simply this. You cannot be humble, you cannot grow in humility when there are other things competing for your trust. So what is competing for you? What do you put ahead of God in terms of what you will place your trust in? That's a really important question for you to ask this first Sunday of the year. What competes with your trust that often takes your trust away from God because you trust in this thing more? Is it your money? Is it your education? Is it even some of your pain that you go through? You know what's so sad about us is that because we've encountered some really bad things in our past, we can't even enjoy today and tomorrow. We have more faith in like just life just screwing us up all the time than we do in a God who can take us and carry us and redeeming those bad things in our life. It's amazing how sometimes we think and act in certain ways so can we put ourselves in that place? What do we trust in more that competes with our trust in God? Because if you want to have amazing faith, God has to be numero uno, and number two has to be a, like a big distance between one and two. That's not easy. I know it's not easy, but it's the way to go. Look at verse five. Verse five. Let's look at the humility of the centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, please don't misunderstand this. Some of us, we think humility is defined as thinking very low of yourself. When the centurion said, I don't deserve you to come underneath my roof, it doesn't mean that he was thinking lowly of himself. The centurion just knew the Jewish laws. He knew that no Jewish person, especially a rabbi, was ever able to enter into a Gentile house. He knew that. So that's why he says, I don't deserve for you to come underneath my roof. What the centurion's posture simply was is this. He trusted in Jesus more than anything else in this world. That's what made him so humble and it reflected the glory of God. That's why Jesus was amazed because he never experienced the manifest, manifestation of God's presence in, a, in anyone in Jerusalem more than this Gentile. So what's competing with what you place your trust in today? What is it that's competing with your trust? Would you lay that down? And would you be able to say, I'm going to just trust in you? Some of you, you trust in your lies. And the thing you might have to lay down today is that you lie a lot, and you don't even know that you're lying. You tell lies about yourself because you're so ashamed of who you are. And we just covered a series on shame. 
And I hope that that will never happen. But for some of you, the thing you might have to lay down today, the thing you trust in more is a lie that you have been telling for years upon years upon years. And people believe that lie about you and it changes how they see you. You're never going to experience and have amazing faith when you believe more in a lie than you do in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you don't have to live and tell lies. You can just be yourself because you know who you are. You are truly a child of God. Amen? Lay it down. It's not worth it. Trust in Jesus more than anything else. That is what humility is, somebody who depends fully upon God. One of the reasons why I love going to South Africa every year is part, partly because as I'm getting older, I really connect with God in beautiful landscapes. And uh, I've traveled the world. I've traveled enough. I haven't tra- Some of you have traveled more than me, but I've traveled enough to uh, have concluded that there is no better country or more beautiful country than South Africa. It's, I call it God's country. I go there and the landscapes, I just connect with God. But the beautiful mountains and the pastures and the places that I go there, it's, it's just such a spiritual time of renewal for me. But the other aspect of it is the people. These people have far less than I do. They're, they have gone through trauma that I can't even fathom going through. I mean, I can't even fathom it. These people have nothing but yet their dependence upon God. And when I go there, I literally feel like I'm in God's presence because they have such a dependence upon him. And what happens, and, and the fruit of that is they have so much joy in their life. And I look at them, and I'm just wondering, like, how can that even be? How can it be? Every time, every year I go, I often wonder, how can that even be? Is it just because of ignorance? They don't know what else is there? No, 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 South Africans, they are very wealthy South Africans. You need to know that. These people all have experienced the apartheid back. It wasn't even that long ago when they've gone through the apartheid system. They have gone through hurt and trauma, death. They were put away into lands uh, where uh, it was uninhabitable. That's what the, the white South Africans did. They gave them places. They told them to move into these areas where they couldn't even farm because these lands were uninhabitable. And yet at the same time, because they found Jesus and they depend upon him, they have a sense of joy and a sense of fullness in life that many times makes me look like the one living in poverty and not them. Your circumstances, unfortunately for some, some of you believe your circumstances will dictate, and I understand why you believe that, but your circumstances have nothing to do with your dependence upon God. Your circumstances have nothing to do with your humility of you posturing yourself today to saying, I'm going to depend upon God. So what is competing for your trust today? Will you lay that down at the altar so that you can begin to have amazing faith like the centurion and amaze God with it? Humility is not about you receiving glory or God blessing you. Humility is about you being a manifestation of God's presence to other people. That's what humility is. That only happens when you depend upon God fully. We can do that. It's a process, but we can get to that place. But the first thing we have to do is lay down the things that we trust in more than God himself. For some, it might be money. Some of us trust more in our finances than we do in God himself. And I pray and hope that God will never have to show you that you need to depend upon him and not money. Because that often demonstration doesn't usually end very well in terms of finances when that happens. Second, that's what we're going to talk about next week. So that's important to know. Second, we have amazing faith when our hope surrenders to Jesus' authority. We have amazing faith when our hope surrenders to Jesus' authority. So our humility reflects the glory of God. 
And second, our amazing faith happens when our hope surrenders to the authority of Jesus Christ. Your hopes that you have for this next coming year, I hope you would surrender that to the authority of Jesus. Look at verse nine. For I myself am a man under authority with with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to the servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. To be under authority means that you have been granted authority by superiors to exercise that under other people, on uh, on the people beneath you. The centurion understood this very well because he was a captain of the army. And because he had 100 people underneath him, he knew that that authority that he's been given by the government, the Roman government, gave him the ability to now control, but also to have authority where if he gave an order to his men, they would have to follow it, otherwise there would be tremendous consequences. He knew authority very well, but what blew Jesus away, what blew him away completely was that he was the only one in Jerusalem that believed that Jesus was given authority by God the Father, the creator of this universe. He was given that authority, and he was given that authority for two purposes. You know what purposes he believed in? That's what Jesus was amazed, that Jesus came to heal the sick and he came to deliver people from demonic oppression. He couldn't believe this guy knew that. He couldn't believe it. You see, back in the first century, it was not uncommon for people to conclude, and he concluded this, that the reason why his servant was paralyzed and suffering terribly, it wasn't just because of unfortunate circumstances. They believed it was because it was the devil. And so when he asked Jesus to come and to heal, what he was saying was, could you defeat Satan for me? Because there is no other authority out here. Nobody can do this but you. That's what Jesus said. There is no one in this Jerusalem who has more faith than this man. He believed in it. Metro Community Church, honestly, do you believe that Jesus Christ has the authority of God? Do you believe today that there is no greater authority? There is a lot of authority in this world even in the spiritual realm, do you believe in your heart of hearts that there is no greater authority than the authority of Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen. You have to believe that. If you don't believe that, you're never going to have amazing faith. You're going to have faith in other things more than Jesus Christ. There is no authority greater than the authority of Jesus Christ. That means that, and if we believe that, that means that we know that Jesus can do things in a supernatural realm. A lot of us, because we sort of, sort of create, we, we don't really even think about the authority of Jesus Christ, we don't understand the power that he has. If he has the power of God who created this universe and created you in, your, in God's image, he's got powers to do amazing things in our lives. And that's what the centurion believed. He knew Jesus could do this. That's why he said, you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word, it's going to happen because you got God's authority. And Jesus was blown away by that. Nobody had that kind of faith. Do you have that kind of faith knowing that there is no greater authority than Jesus Christ? Because if you believe in that, then what you and I have to do, what we are called to do, is to surrender our hope to Jesus' authority. That means this. What that really means is this. And this is going to be hard for some of you. That means your hopes must be surrendered to Jesus Christ and you must trust him for the outcome. That's what that means. I know a lot of us, we have hopes for this coming year. A lot of us might have hopes for the next 10 years. But you're never to have faith in that hope. 
You are to have faith in Jesus Christ. Surrendering yourself to Jesus and letting him determine the outcome. It's the posture of Jesus, isn't it, at Gethsemane. Jesus says, I don't want to die. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done. May your will be done. If you want to approach prayer this year, what I want you to pray, the way that you should pray is this, not my will be done, may your will be done. Pray for things you hope for. Always pray for that, the way the centurion hoped. But at the end, because even if, because if Jesus said no, you know what he would have done? He still would have said, okay. And he still would have believed that there's no greater authority than Jesus Christ. The problem for a lot of us is that we pray certain things and we hope for certain things and when it doesn't happen, we lose faith in God. That's a very dangerous place to be and that is a place where you're never gonna be able to grow and have this kind of amazing faith. So Centurion, the outcome of what Jesus did, and even though it worked for his benefit, would not hinder what he believed in Jesus Christ. And so today, one of the ways in how you can begin to grow in your amazing faith, can you place all of your hopes under the will of God and let him take care of the outcome. Hope for things, pray for things, yes. But at the end you say, but not my will be done. May your will be done. Can I get an amen to that? That's how you have amazing faith. That's how you and I let our hopes be surrendered under the authority of Jesus Christ. And the other cool thing about this is we know theologically that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, meaning the presence of Jesus lives inside of us. And if that's the case, then you and I, as long as we walk with God and walk with Christ, we have the authority of Jesus inside of us. That means God could even use us in our lives to help and to deliver, to heal, to bless people in this church, outside of this church. What would our church look like in the next 10 years if we had that kind of faith? If we had that kind of amazing faith? What would the next 10 years of Metro look like if we surrendered our hopes to the authority of Jesus and Jesus gives us his authority to go out like he sent the, the 12 to go out into what? To heal people and to deliver people from demonic oppression. What would that look like? I know it's crazy. You're like, what's happening to you, Peter? What's going on with you these days? What would that look like? Not your will be done, but let the will of God be done. Will you surrender your hopes to the authority of Jesus today? If you can't do that, you're never gonna have true faith in him. And you'll end up getting bitter and angry. Lastly, we have amazing faith when our talk about Jesus matches our walk. When our talk about Jesus matches our walk. Now this unfortunately is a very hard warning that Jesus gives. Look at verse 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. This banquet is the eschatological banquet. This is the banquet at the end times uh, when Jesus Christ comes back to feast Satan once and for all. And uh, people are going to be sitting at the table. This is before judgment day, the second judgment day. And I don't have time to really go into the specifics of this, but it's before the judgment day happens that people are going to be sitting there. Now this banquet, if you're a Jew, you believe it's only for Jewish people. The eschatological banquet is the banquet for the Jews. And Jesus is making a declaration here. He's saying, if you keep talking the talk and you don't walk the walk, it's a hard teaching, but it's a teaching we gotta all heal. Here, he says you're going to hell. 
you're going to hell. And then he says, people from the east and the west are going to come. And he's saying the Gentiles now will be invited because they're walking the walk. They're not just talking the talk. It's a very strong warning. Very strong warning. Hey, um, I'm in a profession where we talk a lot about Jesus. And um, it's, it's, it's becoming a little bit of an epidemic, if I'm just going to be honest, where a lot of pastors today talk a lot about Jesus, but they struggle to walk. And it's not because they're evil. Please, a lot of it's because they don't know how to care for themselves. And they're so broken and wounded. And that's why 1,200 pastors quit every month here in the United States. 1,200 pastors quit every month in the United States. It is a pandemic that's happening. And so I preach this to myself. But hear me on this. You should never talk about Jesus unless you first establish a walk with him. Your walk with Jesus has to be set first in place before you talk about him. It's much easier to talk about something first before you actually do it. That's kind of, I think, the culture we live in today, but you can't do that. Your walk with Jesus has to be established first before you begin to talk about him because the Pharisees talked a lot. And Jesus called them out and said, no, you got to walk. You you can't talk. And you don't want to walk the wrong direction. You want to walk in line with Jesus, and that's huge. And so can I ask you, are you walking the walk today? Is your walk backed up by your talk? This is what Jesus says a chapter before, Matthew 7, 21. This is what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's what he's saying. And so... One of the ways in how we grow in amazing faith is simply this. What I love about the centurion is let's just say this was a servant. It was more than just about a blessing upon his family, but he really cared for even a servant of his. You're, the reason, why, why do you believe in God today? Is it just for yourself? Is it, is it for just for God to bless you and bless your world? That's not, we're not going to have amazing faith if our faith just stops there. Our faith will become amazing when we truly believe that the reason why I believe in God today is because he loves me, wants to be in a relationship with me so that I can fulfill the greatest purpose that he put me here on earth for. And what is that? To build and establish his kingdom here on earth. The next 10 years, if you can realize the purpose that God has called you to be a kingdom builder, it's going to be profound in how it impacts your faith. That God doesn't just want you to be blessed with your life and your family, and your kids going to good schools and all that stuff. I mean, those are all important, I get it. But it's much bigger than that. Pursue him because he wants you to establish his kingdom here on this earth. And so how do we do that? How do we truly, like, let our talk match our, uh, our walk, match our talk? It's really this idea of obedience. How do you see obedience? Do you see obedience as a sacred practice, or do you just see it as this nice thing that's optional? Right? Um, Jesus makes it very clear, obedience is not a nice thing. Obedience is serious. That if we don't obey God, and we don't live a life in obedience to him, that doesn't mean we gotta walk perfectly, but if we don't live in obedience to him, he says we're headed to a place called hell. And that's the scary thing about the banquet, because we all think we're invited to the banquet. But ask yourself, are you walking with God? Because Jesus is saying, if you're not, if your walk doesn't back up, if your talk, your walk doesn't back up your talk, then guess what? You're going to a place where there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. And so listen, I, uh, you need to know we believe fully in what Christ has done for us on the cross. His death and his resurrection is what gets us to heaven. That, that allows us to be received and experience salvation. Nothing you can ever do, no matter what you do in terms of obeying God, will ever get you to heaven. That's not what obedience is about. We obey because God's already accepted us. But we obey because we know that as we obey, you know what we experience? The bounty of his love for us. We begin to see things the way God sees things. If you guys could just have, I wish you guys could have a 24-hour period of what your life, you can experience what your life would be if you start to live your life in obedience. Many of you would never think about sinning. You'll say, no, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it anymore. That if I can live my life and see my life in this way and be able to deal with some of the failures or some of the hardships in my life, and if I'm able to have this kind of peace and hope, it's not worth living a life of sin because every sin has some kind of damaging effect on your relationship with God and on your soul. You need to believe that, Metro. It does. Yes, God forgives you. Yes, you can move back forward. Can you get deeper and closer with God? Absolutely you can. But for some of us in this room, you've reduced God's grace as permission for you to indulge in your sins. You say, ah, you know what? I'm going to do that because God will forgive me. I'll just ask him to forgive me. My folks, you are prostituting God's grace when you do that. It's not good. And the reason why I know it's not good is because I used to live like that for a very long time. That is not the way to live life. That is having marginal faith at best. If you want to have the bounty of faith, you have to ask yourself, would you consider obedience to be something where you'll, you'll say, you know what, it's not worth me to sin because if I do that, I know it's going to have some kind of collateral damage with my relationship with God. I don't want to mess that. Flow up. I want to keep that going, and so I'm not going to do it. See, that's walking the walk. You talk about things about God, but it's walking the walk. And so amazing faith happens when your talk about Jesus matches your walk with him. If you want to have amazing faith, your humility needs to reflect the glory of God. Your hope needs to surrender to the authority of Jesus. And your talk about Jesus must match your walk. Uh, last Sunday was a very important Sunday for our church. You may not know this, but we actually hit the seven-digit mark. We are $1 million raised for our building fund. That's a pretty, pretty big accomplishment. $1 million in, about a million and a half to go. We have about a little over 18 months before that to happen. We made pledges about 18 months ago that for the next three years, our church came together. We made a pledge of how much we'd like to give to this building fund. A lot of you gave sacrificially. You made a sacrificial pledge. And a lot of you, let's just give you guys a round of applause for supporting it, being faithful to giving to the pledge that you've pledged. I thank you for that. For those who might be a little bit backed up, if things are tight, we totally understand. But we do hope that you would honor what you've covenanted with God in our church and you'll continue to be supportive in that. If you've just started coming to our church and want to know more about our building, feel free. Uh, come email me or uh, 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 give me a call and, and I'd love to set up an appointment and talk to you more about it. But 18 months ago, you guys remember we did this series uh, on the Beyond the Building campaign. We talked about the book of Nehemiah. And as we were studying the book of Nehemiah, it became so clear to us that God wanted us to pursue Liberty School. Now, if you don't know anything about Liberty School, it's, a, it's right off of Tenafly Road, Tenafly and Palisades Avenue, so it's by the circle. It is the most historic building in this city, over 100 years old, but it's uninhabitable. It literally lies in ruins. And so we were studying Nehemiah, and I got up here on stage, and we felt like as a leadership God was calling us to pursue Liberty School. As Nehemiah went to the king and said, send me back to Jerusalem, um, and I need you to pay for it, by the way, but I want to build a city back up. 
right? And so we just felt like we're going to do the same thing. We're going to go to the city and tell the council, hey, um, give us the building. And by the way, we need you to gift us the building and uh, we'll build it up for you. And so we really felt like that was what we're going to do. And so we publicly announced it. Uh, we did the pledges. We hit our goal. We wanted to raise $2.5 million. It was about $2.6 million in pledges or so. Um, I hope we can get there. Those are pledges. They're not real numbers yet, but uh, we hope we can get there. But, you know, once that happened, I just, uh, I started having anxiety attacks at night. I couldn't, I could go to sleep, but I kept waking up and I couldn't go back to sleep. And the reason why that was happening was because I kept thinking to myself, what happens if we don't get Liberty School? I started thinking about, you guys would probably judge me of not being very spiritual, that I don't know how to hear from God, that I obviously heard wrong. And all these, started, these thoughts started coming to mind, and I really, for a long time, I struggled to sleep at night. So we have a, a, a sleep therapist, kind of uh, somebody at our, at, our, at our older board, and so she sat down and she told me what I need to do to go back to sleep, because I could sleep, but then I'd get up and I couldn't go back to sleep. That was the problem. I just struggled to go back to sleep because I kept thinking and worrying and worrying and worrying about what happens if this thing doesn't work out. And, uh, and it was killing me. The anxiety and the stress was just overwhelming me. And the thought of perhaps, you know, if, if, uh, you know, if, if we get this building, I mean, it's great to get it, but then if we get it, oh my God, I'm going to have to raise maybe more money outside of this church and it's going to be even more stress. And so there was just, it was just all these thoughts coming through my mind and, and I was just really struggling. And uh, in July uh, of last year, it was really a, a pivotal moment for me from July, August, and September. Um, I, I started to realize a lot more of how much shame destroyed how I see myself. And, uh, and you know, I went on this long-term fast back in, um, in, in July, uh, August through September. And, um, I, you know, some people said, are you fasting for the building? Because, you know, we were doing, we did the two weeks of, 21 days of fasting and praying. And part of that was for the building. And, and for me, uh, it wasn't for the building. I mean, I, I still want it. Don't worry. I want to get the building, and we're pursuing it. But for me, um, I was just asking God to help me to deal with this shame that I'm dealing with because I felt that if I didn't get that, then my identity would be found as a failure. And I know those were the voices of the enemy. And so I asked for God to really do a deep work in my heart to start uncovering what are some of the lies I'm believing about myself that I need to uncover? What are some lies that I'm even telling about myself that continue to put me in a very dark place where I can't even go back to sleep? And I started doing some deep work on that. And it was just God just pouring out and healing me and just really helping me to get through a, a real difficult season. And, uh, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm completely anxiety-free, but, folks, I sleep beautifully at nights now. I wake up. Sometimes I, and I'm getting older, I gotta go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And uh, <laughs> that's a reality now, once you hit your mid-40s. And, uh, you know, uh, I can go right back to sleep. But in the past, you know, it gets really psychological because when you can't sleep after waking up, it's like somebody's terrorizing you. And you wake up thinking, oh man, I'm not gonna be able to sleep again. And uh, God delivered me from that. And I'm able to sleep. And uh, my hope is not in Liberty School. My hope is in the authority of God. Right? And I'm praying always that I would, my humility would reflect God's glory. And at the end, if we don't get the building, I still need to walk the walk. And I am positioned to do that no matter what. Now, I want the building for sure. I want us to continue to pursue it, and we're doing it the best we can. Back in December, um, 
the city council invited us to come, our church, and a lot of you came out, so thank you for coming out. It was standing room only that day. I mean, it was packed. And uh, Sunita, not me, but Sunita went up before the council and presented what Metro was going to do, and she did a stellar, I mean, killer, killer job. I mean, like drop the mic kind of level, drop, job, right? <laughs> only Sunita can do that. I can't do that. And uh, I was just there praying, praying for her, you know, everything will go well. And um, at the end, uh, after we were number one on the agenda, I don't know, about eight, nine agenda items. At the end of the agenda, it was just sort of like an open mic for anyone who wanted to come up and just say something. And people after people came up in the community telling the city council, we want this thing to happen with Metro Community Church. We want this thing to happen with Metro Community Church. We want you guys to give Metro the school. And, uh, and the, uh, I think the highlight for me was Lil Cochran. She's the executive director of the Women's Center here in Englewood. She came to the meeting. She didn't have to come, but she came. And she went up to the mic and she said that she was, you know, I don't live here, but I work here. We're in the Women's Center. We've been here for decades. We are asking you to give Metro this building because we want to have our programs in that building too. And so it was just really cool to see that, right? And so it was just really cool to see what God's kind of doing. Where I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, God, that's it. All right, good, good. Um, and then the next day, uh, the mayor went on Facebook and uh, he put up a real huge public statement that he supports Metro getting Liberty School. And he went public on that. And, you know, it's, it was, it was a, it was a, we were wondering why did he do that so quickly, but he did. And then he did a fundraise page. And, you know, he raised money for our, for our building. Now, it's not that much, a little over $100, but you know what? God can multiply the fish and the loaves, you know, right? But he put a fundraiser, he goes, give to this, give to Metro so they can do this. And uh, guys, we still have a long way to go. We're far from a yes right now, official yes. We still got a ways to go. We cannot guarantee it, but at the end of the day, guys, our hope cannot be in this building. We need to surrender it to the authority of Jesus. And no matter what happens, no matter what happens, we're going to continue to walk the walk and let our walk determine how we talk about God. And so on this first Sunday of the new year, on the first Sunday of a brand new decade, will your humility reflect God's glory? Will you ask yourself, what is competing for your trust other than God? And will you lay that down at the altar today? Will you do that? Will you surrender your hopes to the authority of Jesus, meaning he controls the outcome. Let his will be done, not yours. So if he says no, you're still gonna follow him and submit to his authority. Will you do that? And will you allow your talk about Jesus match your walk? That obedience becomes so important to you because you live under the bounty of God's grace and mercy that you say it's not worth sinning anymore because of what I experienced with God. We have amazing faith, Metro when we can live our life like that. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. What do you need to lay down today that competes with your trust, with God? I don't know why, but in the first service, I really heard from God for some, and maybe it was just first service only, but for some of you, you gotta lay down your lies. You trust too much in the things you lie about. You tell too many people lies about yourself. And that is so demonic because what it's doing, it's preventing you from seeing yourself as a child of God. 
and you would rather build your identity on lies. That's like walking on a, on a shattered roof. Not even a glass roof, a shattered glass roof. You're gonna sink and fall any second. So would you even lay those down? For some of you, it might be the things you're hoping for. You hope for things more than you hope for God. Whatever it might be, lay it down. And could you get to a place where you say, God, not my will be done, but may your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And that you will always let your walk with Jesus inform your talk about him. All of you hate hypocrites. I know you do. You've met a bunch of hypocrites before. But if we don't walk the walk, then we're going to become hypocrites too. So let's do our best. God doesn't, again, he doesn't want perfection. Rather, he just wants you to value obedience. Because that's the only way you're going to have amazing faith. So I just want you to spend a brief moment in laying things down that you need to lay down and praying this prayer for the next decade that you will grow in amazing faith. Just go to him. pray for you this new year if I can if you want to have amazing faith for the next 10 years if you want to grow into that place and you've prayed a prayer where you surrender some things down you say God I want to have amazing faith just every eyes closed every head bowed could you just raise your hand and put them down so I can see you and I'm just going to pray for you okay great I see your hands all over the place amen amen anyone else amen amen anyone else put your hands down anyone else for those in the gym sanctuary, God sees you. In the nursery, God sees you. And even those on our online community, God sees you. So God, I pray for those who've raised their hands. I pray that you would help them to grow in amazing faith. I pray that their humility will reflect your glory. I pray God, their hopes would, sur they would surrender their hopes to your authority, Jesus. That your will be done, not theirs. It's hard even pray your prayer like that but I pray that we would pray that prayer every day so we have more hope in you than we do in a certain thing we're hoping for may our hope always end with you may you never be a means to an end of our hope I pray for that God and I pray Lord Jesus you'll help us to walk the walk before we start talking about you that we do care about how we live our lives and Lord I pray that my brothers and sisters who raise their hand would get to a point God, where they would walk so deeply and so intimately with you that they would look at sin and say, it's not worth it. It's just not worth doing because it's going to impact my relationship negatively with God in some ways. God, help us to get to that place. Help us to have amazing faith like the centurion, God. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray that you would allow us over the next 10 years to grow in such faith God, that we would amaze you and you'll help us to love and build your kingdom here in this church, but mostly here in Englewood and beyond. Thank you that you've called Metro to be a kingdom building church. I pray that we will continue to do that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
There's some next steps that I'd love for you to take. The first one is if you've never committed your life to Jesus, your communication card, just flip it over. There's some next steps here. Um, just check that off. Say, Peter, you know what? I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. Then we would love for you at the end of the service, go out to the, uh, the uh, next table and uh, meet with one of our leaders. They'd pray for you and give you a new believer's packet. All right. Second, I will pray for greater humility that reflects God's glory. Pray for greater humility that reflects God's glory. Pray for that. It's hard. It's not an easy prayer, but it's a prayer that's so necessary. Uh, third, I will sign up to serve in a ministry at Metro. Uh, we love for you to think about serving in 2020. Now, these, these, if you're serving already at Metro, we don't want you to sign up for another ministry. Please do not do that. But if you're not and you'd like to get involved or even get more information, why not thinking about getting involved? Like God used you to be a blessing, to reflect his glory to other people. All right, so, there, uh, so if you check that off, just know that on the right side of the communication card or on our app, there are a list of uh, a myriad of ministries that you can choose from. Select a few if you want, and then the ministry leaders will get back to you. Hopefully then if they do email you, you can get back to them about talking to them about the ministry. So why not think about serving for the next 12 months here at this church and see what God will do in your life. Uh, fourth, I will attend public reading of scripture on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. We start again this Thursday at the Metro office at 11.30 a.m. If you work around the Inglewood area, come by. We'll feed you, and you get to listen to about an hour of the word. Best case scenario. We'll feed you spiritually and physically, right? It's pretty cool. Uh, Sundays, every Sundays at 11.10 a.m. Come early. Go into the gym sanctuary. Sit down and listen to at least 20 minutes of scripture a week. If you're struggling to read the Bible, make this your New Year's resolution for the next year. Say, I will come at 11.10 every Sunday and sit for 20 minutes and listen to a few chapters in the Bible. You can listen to even to a few books in the Bible with just 20 minutes. So make that a goal. Next Sunday, hopefully a lot of you will show up at 11.10 at the gym sanctuary and we'll do the public reading of scripture. Uh, Fifth, I will give to the Christmas offering. Uh, if you have not given yet, please think about giving. All of that money doesn't go to us. It goes out to serving people outside of our church, and I hope that you will do so. And then the last thing, please sign me up for Connections Dinner on January 19th at 4 p.m. Be at my house. Love to share with you a little bit more about Metro Community Church, especially if you've just been kind of attending. It's a great way for you to meet a lot of newcomers. We'll have a good meal together, and uh, hopefully it'll get you informed more about what Metro is really about.